Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champions of Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash Games or later on your favorite podcast service, Mitra Georgian and Rafael Bucamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. V, talk about mental health in these unprecedented times as well as how gaming affects us. If you're here with us live in the chat, you can leave a question that I, Trevor Bettis, will ask them later in the show. Uh, but uh, before we get to that, uh, who, who are you two lovely people? <clears throat> Would you like to start with me? <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems to be the established tradition oh, at this point. hadn't tradition. actually realized that, but sure. Um, so I'm Mitra Jordan, as announced. I think you can even see it below. Um, I'm a registered <laughs> clinical counselor. I work in Victoria, BC in private practice, um, and I work with various people. Um, and I'm also neurodivergent, uh, which uh, we're going to talk about this time. It's going to be mm -hmm. so much fun. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and I am Dr. Rafael Bocamazzo, better known as Dr. B for long Italian name reasons. And I am the clinical director over at TakeThis.org. We were the first mental health nonprofit to serve the game community. And yeah, you can check out what we do at TakeThis.org or follow us on all the socials at TakeThisOrg or you can follow me right down there at the Dr. B. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm also an expert on the applied use of uh, tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons and & Dragons in clinical and learning settings. And for the sake of today, well, for the sake of every day, really, but we're really just going to point a, a spotlight on it today, uh, I am autistic. And we're going to talk about that yeah. in detail. Yeah, th this was uh, this and next week's episodes was was pitched by Mitra, and uh, we just thought it was a really good idea of doing an AMA about autism since Doctor B has been very open about that, and doing one about ADHD since Mitra and I have been very open about that. Um, and yeah, that this is basically yeah we're shining a spotlight on it this week. And um, where where exactly do you want to start with this? Well, oh, I, I will actually I should explain for the for chat just real quick. Put your questions in chat now, uh, your AMA questions, because that's going to be the second half of the episode. When we come back from the disclaimer, we'll be doing those. Uh, for right now, we're just going to be talking. Uh, we're going to be talking about what Doctor B wants to talk about with it and his experiences with it. So, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and you know, I'm. Uh, this is this is your opportunity, Chad. If there's if there's questions you have about either. Because I'm in an interesting position in that I, I straddle the line between both the clinical world and the lived experience world in this case. And, oh, I just realized how low my, my, there we go. Let's, yeah, you there can you see go. the entirety of my head. <laughs> um, 
hey, look at that. I'm actually completely in frame now. Uh, um, but the mine might be a bit weird. Oh my god! <laughs> it's okay. I know. I can't the... actually look at anyone. I'm going to be side eyeing every single person in this show if I don't <laughs> fix it. Okay, so if my face looks funny and and I don't look like I'm looking at the camera, it's because I'm kind of not. But uh, anyway, go on. <laughs> but um, if you have any questions about what it's like to be autistic, um, at least from my perspective, and I really want to preface uh, preface this whole conversation with, for the most part, I'm going to be talking about my experiences. Uh, because the the lived experiences of different um, d- different. Did I lose you guys? No, no, we're still. I'm still here. You're still here. I can see oh, you. Oh, why are we you. having problems? I don't see anyone? Um, the but here. yeah, what 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 basically what's autism like for me? Um, you know, given that I'm also a doctor oh. of clinical psychology oh. and I used to work with people on the spectrum back in the days when I worked with people instead of doing you know all policy work. Um, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, so I've got a lot to say. I'm, if I'm stumbling over my words, oh, we did lose Mitra. Um, if I'm, if I'm stumbling over my words a little bit, uh, it's only because I'm currently Mitra Jordan and I'm facing a new reality, uh, (laughs) (laughs) there you go. There, There, thank you. You're back. So yeah, the it, this is something that's very personal, and I'm really trying to be as open as possible on this, and I'm I'm feeling some feels uh, on mm-hmm. this one. So I'm I'm probably going to be uh, stumbling over my words quite a bit. Where we wanted well, to start was just talking about what is autism from a mm-hmm. from a technical perspective, because there's a lot of people who don't really even know what it is. They have a lot of, I think, bad ideas based on media representation of autism, which has historically been not great. And so to, to start things off, um, autism is we have to we have to think about the model we're looking at. I'm getting really technical here. Uh, and all diagnoses are conceived from what's called the medical model. And the medical model tends to look at deficits in regards to a, a perceived norm. And I, I use the term normal with impunity simply because um, I, I, because it's not a bad term. Where people run into problems with that term normal is where they start conflating it with good. There are plenty of things that are, we've talked about this in previous episodes, where there are plenty of things in this world that are statistically abnormal that are wonderful. Um, and there's plenty of things that are statistically normal, but eh, kind of a drag. And so I, I, when, as I talk about normal, I want to I be clear that I'm using it in a statistical term, not in a moral judgment, good or bad kind of way, because that's, that, that's an important distinction. And the... So the medical model looks at deficits from a perceived norm, and autism has a little bit of controversy in there because a lot of people, and I'm one of them, believe that those of us on the spectrum are just simply on a diff, uh, on a different operating system. And the reason we don't function as well is because we're basically Linux in a Windows world and we're expected to act like Windows, and that doesn't work. I will never be able to be a different operating system than what I am. But from the medical model, what autism is, is a neurodevelopmental diagnosis 
present from a very early age. That's why it's neurodevelopmental. It's not something you just wake up in your 20s and, oops, I'm autistic. Um, it, this was this has been there my entire life. And it's a combination of a couple things. One, a, a not understanding social cues, social communication, social ideas, nonverbal communication, emotional reciprocity, meaning like, you know, when you talk to someone and you give them a, a compliment or something and there's some good warm feelings there, there's this kind of unspoken expectation that they're going to offer good warm feelings back. And those of us on the spectrum often struggle with that, like heavily. Um, additionally, there's other things because in and of itself, that's technically called social communication disorder. But there's there's more to it than this. So there's repetitive stereotyped behaviors uh, for a lot of us, a need for sameness and rigidity, as well as a lot of sensory idiosyncrasies. I have a lot of sensory idiosyncrasies, which is good and bad for when I cook, because I'm I'm hyper I'm hypersensitive to noises. I'm hypersensitive to tastes, to smells. Um, I can like smell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can smell things two floors away. I can hear certain noises two floors away. It you said it drove my ex-wife uh, up the wall when I was like, "Ah, you're chewing with your mouth open." I was like three rooms away. Yeah. <laughs> um but all but it, it's it's also an important distinction to recognize that as we talk about this, I'm probably going to be describing some things that a lot of you have some experience with. And there are there are a lot of aspects about the autism experience that maybe you identify with a little bit. It's really important to understand it's not considered autism unless a lot of this stuff is present and present to the point that it causes significant impairments in the way you live your life. I I can't, I, I don't want to say can't, but... I have gotten so good at recognizing social scripts and living within social scripts um, that I actually, I blend a lot of the times. It's when you put me in new situations or even in um, romantic relationships, that's where it's way more obvious because I can't just mimic behaviors in those certain, in those circumstances. Um, yeah, so... That's that's kind of what autism is from the technical perspective. Mm. Uh, the what we also we also had the question that we talked about ahead of time of when was I diagnosed? I was diagnosed when I was thirty five. I was well well into my life before I was diagnosed, and the. Um, it was it, I. I didn't recognize it. Other people, uh, other people, recognized it before I did, because to me, a lot of my own experiences were just. I thought they were normal because I mean, mm -hmm. it's what I grew up with. It's what I knew, and it was other people starting, starting, starting to suggest that hey, we've noticed that a lot of times you're like if if a social scenario was like a partner dance. Um. There were a lot of times where I was like half step out of time. And it has caused some problems for me with jobs. It has caused some problems with me 
um, socially and has caused problems with for me with romantic relationships because people expect me to respond a certain way and it's certain ways that are really difficult for me really difficult for me in some cases practically impossible and so it was in the in the, the sort of death throes of my marriage that I went and got tested um and they uh it, it was actually a little challenging for me to get tested because one most clinicians don't really specialize in adult autism because it's an emerging field of study that is in many cases about 20 years behind in terms of research um, with things like ADHD. ADHD research is way ahead of autism in terms of people's understanding. And the um, and so yeah, I my I didn't understand why we were having difficulties in my marriage and I went and finally got tested, which it took me months to find somebody <laughs> because I was trained on most common assessment tools. Being a doctor of psychology, I had to find someone who not only specialized in aut adult autism, but they specialized well enough to get around all of the tests I know. Mm -hmm. And because otherwise, if they test me and I know the answers, it's not a valid test. So when they they tested me and I got diagnosed, it was... It's tough to explain because it's like nothing changed, but everything was different. I was still me, but I was me with this whole new lens. And there were a lot of moments in my life, and there's still a lot of moments in my in my life, in my past, where I go, I look back at that and go, ooh, yeah, yeah, that, that, uh, that, that was an autism moment. That was, that was definitely an autism moment. Yeah, I can't, can't lie about that. And so uh, that's, that's, I, I don't know. I Help me out, gang. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. deep in my own thoughts and no, my feelings here. You're okay. doing great. You're doing great. I'm wondering how it felt for you to, like, what, it, what was it like to review your life in that uh, way? You know, because you had one experience just going through it and, you, and it felt normal to you. But then, like, this process of kind of looking back and going, oh, wait, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to warn the chat. I am probably going to cry at some point, maybe sooner than later. Um, because what it felt like is not a line. It's not a, a linear thing. Mm -hmm. Because what, I, what we're talking about is a, a new identity, uh, is a new aspect of my identity. Because, you know, here we are about four years later, and I'm still coming to terms with what it means to have a social disability. And it is, for me, a social disability, and it's an invisible one. It's one that, and we have a lot of biases about even that word disability. And the, there's more and more evidence to to point to the idea that the longer it is before one is diagnosed with, you know, ADHD or autism or other, you know, learning disabilities, neurodevelopmental stuff, the more internalized hatred, the more, the more internalized negativity that we have to undo. And I'm no exception to that. I mean, four years later and I'm, and I'm really, just starting to come to terms with the idea that the whole of my life, I just thought of myself as a broken version of normal. 
because I thought I was the same operating system as everybody else. But instead, you know, so at first it was shock. It was kind of a relief to have a label for that, that my, my experiences were common enough that there were enough people that there was a label for this. And throughout most all my life, I mean, there were so many aspects of things that are, you know, typically male that I don't enjoy. And it turns out research is saying that um, those of us on the spectrum tend to um, sort of either be gender divert, basically be gender divergent to varying degrees at a rate of five times the typical population. There's a lot of folks on the spectrum who identify as, you know, they're non-binary, trans, um, or even just eschew typical gender roles. And a lot of the stuff I did didn't fall within that that scope of what it was to, you know, be a guy. Um, I like to cook. I like theater. I like words. I like, I like music. Um, I'll watch, I'll watch sports ball games as a social thing. Um, just to, just to be around people, but I don't voluntarily sit down for three hours and watch the Seahawks crash into other people at, (laughs) at high speeds. Um, and, so, you know, part of me wanted to give the flippant answer to this because I, I often do that as a way of deflecting from very uncomfortable emotions um, when you ask what did it feel like. And I, I wanted to say fluffy, but um, now the, the truth is it's, it's like a series of oscillations that continue. And some days I'm okay with it. Some days I'm, I'm not okay with it because I exist in a world where I'm outnumbered 50 to 1 by people who expect me to act a certain way. And because I'm so good at, I'm so good at blending in because, and I want to be clear about this. Um, this is not me bragging. This is, um, this is me just saying how I flew under the radar when I got tested and surprised the hell out of me. Um, I really mean that, that they, um, the neuropsychologist came back with uh, perceptual reasoning scores, which are my my ability to recognize like patterns, um, visual spatial cues, that sort of things, those sort of things. And I, I just about blew the top off the test. And he came back uh, with, so you're gifted. And I was like, what? <laughs> I always felt so behind on everything. And <laughs> it turns out that my ability to recognize patterns is what helped me fly under the radar. I'm so good at recognizing people's behavioral patterns and imitating them that I seemed normal to everybody else. And my my entire teenage experience was, I, I make a joke about it, but I'm really not joking, that it was basically me doing this constant ethnographic anthropology experiment where I'm going through talking to people and just kind of documenting in my brain. Okay, social response 54A was, let's see, negative response. Try 54B next time and see how that goes. And that's that's basically how it was for me. And it is for me all the time. This is not an occasional thing. I am consciously thinking about this 25-8. It is exhausting. Mm-hmm. I was just it thinking. Is so exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it how it feels is it, it, how it feels is sort of a a tricky thing because um the the metaphor I've really come to use recently and this has only been in the last couple of weeks um I'm a huge 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 Beatles fan huge Beatles fan for those of you in the chat who know what this song is um cool if you don't and you can stand the intensity of what i'm about to say give it a shot but um <laughs> don't don't if it's too distressing go listen to the beatles song revolution 9 put it on headphones put it on your headphones and um for me autism is like living inside that all the time all the time and it's jarring, it's disjointed, it's confusing, and the best I can hope for is some things to help turn the volume down. That's what it feels like all the time for me. And talking to people, anybody, it doesn't matter who, I'm constantly thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing because the, 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 the other side of this, and this is a really common thing with autism, this is a really common thing with ADHD. This is a really common thing with several different diagnoses is a form of um, rejection sensitivity. Now, you, you may, I, I have a whole thing about this because um, you, for those of you in the chat, you may have heard the concept rejection sensitivity dysphoria. That's a BS term, by the way. That's an entire show unto itself. Um, How to ADHD did a really good a really good episode on why that's kind of a BS term. Um, but rejection sensitivity is a very real thing in so many diagnoses because for autism, for ADHD, and for a variety of other things, we're literally go we're doing things wrong. And we do things wrong enough that we're told sometimes two months later, because it wasn't that big of a deal, but somebody tells us like two months later. And so after a couple decades of this, it becomes this living, constant experience of trying to not do things wrong because maybe this is the time that I'm really going to hurt someone because I didn't understand or I didn't know any better. And I won't find out for months and I'm fully unaware that I did it unintentionally despite my best efforts. And it's so much effort. It is so much effort. It's like a program running in the back of my mind at 50% capacity for my RAM all the time. All the time. Mm. And I have a diminished RAM capacity compared to most people. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's another thing. Um, a lot of us on the spectrum are, um, a lot of us on the spectrum. So if you think about cognitive abilities for most people uh, in the way that, um, in the way that most people are, if you think of cognitive abilities kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, most people have fairly even scores across all. You know, there's a little bit of variation, but there's some e fairly even scores across all of them. For a lot of us on the spectrum, we're min-maxers. So you see a split in abilities. Um, and in my case, to go back to the computer metaphor my 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 graphics card is like running two linked 3090s my hard drives are like two two four terabyte solid state drives 
but my CPU and RAM suck. And so like one half of my brain can't keep up with the other, what the other half wants to do. And it's so aggravating because I know I can do something. I should be able to do something, but I can't. And I'm surrounded by people who are world-class and brilliant and it's, it's embarrassing um, a lot of time to have them f- to feel like I have to be handheld the entire time to understand something. Mm. And so it's, this is where to go back to Mitra's question about what it feels like. This is what I'm still, like I said, I'm still coming to terms with the whole disability idea, the model of it, the, the identity of it, that there are certain things that as an adult capable male, I'm supposed to be able to do that. I can't. I truly, truly cannot. And the things I need to do that are what a lot of people would consider marks of weakness or moral ineptitude. I am truly dependent on other people in ways that other people are not. I have to rely on them to survive. Um, and that's a, it's a, yeah. So, uh, um, but uh, before we uh, get to the to our mid show disclaimer, do, oh God, do are we you, already at the? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, we, we've been talking for a bit. Uh, did did you? Are you up to talking about meltdowns? Yeah, um, yeah. Let's talk about meltdowns. They look different for everybody on the spectrum, uh, but for me, it is. It, it's it's. I don't know what's happening when I'm in the middle of them. I mean, I know I'm distressed because there's there's something there's something called alexithymia, which is something that's re- it's not technically a diagnostic criterion of of autism, but it's super common, super common in those of us on the spectrum. And what alexithymia is is difficulties or inability to identify internal emotional or uh, you know affective or physiological states I, I i often just i can't name my own emotions a lot of the time and the way i just the, the metaphor i use for that is like my, my emotional experiences are kind of like a glacier it, it looks really homogenous at first glance and it's really slow moving but really intense when it hits you and crushing and I don't, I and a lot of other folks on the spectrum don't have much of a middle ground between in control, in control, it's fine, and overload. It's like a light switch gets flipped, and then it's suddenly too much. And all I can experience is the distress, and I just collapse. In some cases, quite physically. And repetitive, intrusive thoughts, and the... the Last week, I, I actually had a couple of them, um, and they, I, God, it, there's such an emotional hangover afterwards. But all I, the only thing that exists in those moments is the distress, the thought, whatever is making me have that meltdown, that overload, the the uh, uh, the sensory experiences, everything, and it's so intense that I actually forget I have a body. I f- I kind of forget I'm in a room, and often the very first thing I notice when I come out of this is oh, hey, look, the walls are real again. Or a really intense, like, hyper-focused moment I had um, several months ago, and I'm, I'm not even joking. It was so weird. 
I, I, lo- I was at my desk where I'm sitting right now and I just got into this hyper-focused thought loop for two hours and I didn't realize two hours had passed. And I looked down and I was like, oh, I have hands. That's weird. And it just become that distress, that hyper-focus, like a lot of people say they get really into a flow state. These sorts of hyper-focus and meltdown moments are so different than a flow state. It's almost dissociative. And I just, you know, throughout growing up, when I got overloaded like this, I just was often told I'm being melodramatic. I need to toughen up. Or some variation of that when I'm on a different operating system. And most of my sen- most of my physical experiences are kind of heightened compared to other people. I experience pain more, in- uh, I'm told. Uh, I experience pain more intensely. I experience discomfort more intensely. Like, I-, I joke about all the beer I make. And I joke about all, you know, that I, I-, I drink alcohol. Um, that's because I actually like the taste of it. I hate the effects. because that I I truly hate the effects Um, and because that's more confusion and predictability and confusion is absolutely one of the worst experiences I could have that more than anything else will make me have one of those meltdowns and those can last hours so yeah there's a welcome welcome to my world kids (laughs) It's a lot um, to unpack. Well, uh, let's uh, go ahead and take our mid-show disclaimer, and uh, we'll come back with some questions uh, after that. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Okay. Uh, first off, before we get into the questions, Dr. B, I just want to say everybody loves you, and you're, we're, we're thank you so much for doing this talk. I, I know it's taken a lot out of you, but we really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, on the topic of emotions. Um, emotions are kind of you know I mentioned the alexithymia a couple moments ago. Emotions are really intense for me, mm-hmm. and um, sitting within them for a while is um, it is a it is a challenge. So, um, thanks for bearing with me, gang. Yeah. Yeah. We, we appreciate and love you. Um, I think the first question that we're going to do, uh, is from, uh, Reculti, uh, which has question where on the spectrum do you fall? Um, generally where there's things in my path and, (laughs) um, uh, that we're we're prone to we're prone to challenges in terms of proprioception, so we're a bit clumsy. Uh, but um, th- no, I'm I'm being flippant because that's the that's a tough question to answer. Uh, there, it, the clinical terms that are used for uh, for that where people fall in terms of functionality um, are are controversial within the autism community, 
And I understand why. I, I, I honestly believe that my industry has not done enough to educate people on why certain terms are used. So uh, actually, Take This is going to have a, a small video coming out about uh, this in, uh, soon, I, th I think, that uh, what, quote, mild things mean in clinical terms. The, the metaphor I like to use is a scale of 1 to 10. And if you imagine routine experiences falling between like 1 and 5 and clinical experiences between 5 to 10 in terms of impact and distress... It's within that already high end of five to ten that the terms like mild, you know, moderate and severe in clinical terms are framed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I say I have, quote, mild autism, I'm already in that five to ten range. And um, the other tricky the other tricky part about any diagnosis not just autism but any diagnosis is the sheer level of variance in presentation mm -hmm. uh, the, uh something i've said on this show before is that depression major depressive disorder pro it, referred to as the common cold of mental health there are nine diagnostic criteria for depressed major depressive disorder you have to meet five out of nine for a period of two weeks or more there are something, somebody did the math at one point, I forget what the number was, but there was something like 54,000 like 54, different possible variations of depression alone. And autism has multiple dimensions. And so, um, and a lot of variance because like my cognitive challenges are not other people's cognitive challenges. Now, incidentally, there are some common ones such as working memory and concentration to the point that... For, it's actually in the dia, the diagnostic manual that if somebody has an autism diagnosis, you expect them to have ADHD symptoms. Um, so I, yeah, so there's a lot of different variations. And on top of that, like my sensory idiosyncrasies are not the same as other people's sensory idiosyncrasies. And my, um, my skill sets, uh, I, my skill sets make up for certain things in certain ways like if if this was a DD &D game i've got a wisdom score of eight okay i there's a lot of quote obvious things that i miss but i have double <laughs> i have like double proficiency in both investigation basically in investigation so i recognize patterns to the point that in people's behaviors that i can kind of label their emotions with cognitive empathy um, and that's the way I experience it. Um, so my, my challenges are not the same as other people's challenges. And so I, I would actually challenge you that if you've got somebody, somebody in, in your life who is autistic and you feel comfortable and you've got a strong enough relationship with them that you can honestly ask, ask them what their autism is like. Like, I have conversations with my friends who are on the spectrum, and I'm like, so how does yours manifest differently than mine? And so I get I, I get to know, like, what their idiosyncrasies are versus mine. And I, I use that word a lot, idiosyncrasies, because I, I, I like it because it's kind of an – it's a non-judgmental word. It's just a thing that's different. There's no judgment about it. There's no nothing. It's just you've got something that's a little different than other people. Okay. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that's okay. Um, let's see, where was that next? One? Oh, uh, uh, Luca, uh, Fenrir, 
says, uh, what's your thoughts on, quote, functioning labels, and how can we improve the way that the general public think about the spectrum? Um, so the idea of functioning labels, I kind of touched on uh, just a moment ago. Bearing in mind that I understand what they mean clinically, I have no problem with them. But that's because mm -hmm. I understand what they mean clinically. And honestly, I think it's on my industry to fix that. I think it's on my I think it's on my industry to educate people better. There's there's no shortage of research that talks about how powerful psychoeducation is in terms of helping people understand where they're at and what they can what they can do and how things might manifest in their life. But again, back when I worked with people, I cannot tell you how many times I like made a f I worked with teenagers so they appreciated they often appreciated some well-natured sarcasm and there there were so many times that these these teenagers I worked with who had diagnoses their entire lives like maybe ADHD or depression or anxiety or whatever and I would say something like well yeah but you know what that means and they look at me like no I don't I'm like did nobody ever tell you what ADHD actually is and they were like no do you want to do that right now and they were like, yeah, actually. And so I would go, I would get my the the diagnostic manual and we'd start going through the list. Like here are the symptoms. And then we would spend like an hour talking about how it can manifest in their life. And for so many of them, no one had ever done that for them. Yeah. Ever. In over a decade in some cases. And so from a clinical, so going back to your question, from a clinical perspective, I have no problem with somebody saying I'm high functioning autistic. But that again, that's specifically because I understand what the clinical implications of that are. My like Mitra and my industry, they do not do a good enough job. We do not do a good enough job of educating the public on what that actually means. There's a lot of people that just slap a label on it and just like you know, drop you know, tuck and roll. It it, it with no explanation, and that does people a disservice, a massive disservice, because then. And because then um, people uh, people come uh, come to us or, or they go to people saying, I have mild depression or I have high functioning autism or whatever. And people are like, oh, yeah, well, then that's no big deal. You're high functioning. It's mild. No, it's still a big deal because it has to yeah. make a massive impact to even get that label. And so that I to, again, to go and to go back to your to go back to your question I, I, I really think it's our, it's our responsibility to do better towards the general population. And additionally, those, those labels have usefulness. They also have limitations. Mm -hmm. Like diagnostic labels are a great way to clinically communicate in a shorthand way, an idea of what someone might be seeing. But there are so many variations of that that you have to you still have to look into that. So just because just because um, and that again, that's something I think my industry needs to do a, just a much better job of educating people on labels are useful to a point, mm -hmm. but they also have a lot of limitations. Like I felt validated when I got that when I got that label because it meant um, that autism label because it meant I wasn't alone. There were enough people who ha who have some of the same struggles as me that there's a there's a name for it. Mm -hmm. And 
that was so validating for me. But at the same time, especially with something like autism, where the only where the only images people have of autism are like freaking Sheldon Cooper, which I, I cannot stand that show, by the way. I cannot stand that show because the entirety of the humor is aimed at people like me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not to laugh with us, to laugh at us, that we do not understand the normal people. I, I will say this real quick. If you want to fully understand that, there is a YouTube video out there that is called Big Bang Theory Without the Laugh Track. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. It is one of the most uncomfortable things to watch. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's aside from the misogyny and every oh, other geez. every other part, yeah. there are so many aspects to that show that I, I have a serious problem with, but the, at its core... The, the the humor of that show is is punching down at people like me mm-hmm. it's yeah. and that is a massive problem we've I mean especially since most of us on the spectrum have already been bullied our entire lives a lot of us on the spectrum I should say um so it it, it so yeah I to to go back to that question I have a complicated relationship with those diagnostic labels because I'm in both worlds I see the problems I also see the usefulness and I don't know how how to fix that because clinicians need a way of of communicating ideas mm-hmm. um but that's it, it is a different language clinical language is a different language even if the yeah. words are the same yeah, I think the problem is it's a great shorthand when clinicians are speaking with each other. What happens often is, in my office anyway, people will come in with a diagnosis. And the problem is, and this is partly both the clinician's issue and the media's issue, is people will come in with a diagnosis and ideas about that diagnosis, which are not relevant necessarily to their own experience or to their diagnosis. And so it's very confusing Um I had someone ask about, okay, so you've got ADHD, you know, how do you, essentially, how do you cure it? When does it end? And it's like, um, I actually, you know? I actually have something on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bob Billy G underscore uh, 2000 says, I am autistic as well. I'm uh, I'm no longer wanting to hide that because of Dr. B and some of their factors. I really think that uh, people need to understand that ASD children will grow up with uh, to be ASD adults. Uh, The thing we do as children are the same things we do as adults. Uh, One example of one nasty thing that's uh, being said to me is, quote, uh, oh, just grow up. Uh, ASD is not just a child thing. Ah, oh yeah. my goodness! Yeah, so it's... much compassion for that experience. I'm yeah, so Billy, sorry. I've 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 heard that one a lot too. Um, mm. Quit being so melodramatic, toughen up. Quit being such a wimp. Grow up. Just deal with it. Um, when it's, it, it yeah, it, it it's 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 a because it's also because it's an invisible diagno- It's an invisible disability. Um, people have a hard time accepting it, especially if you we get caught up on these binary labels of functional non-functional yeah mm-hmm. smart not smart capable incapable when the when the reality um when the reality is it's more complicated than that like i i talked about my own cognitive profile um and there's it the fact that my my ability scores and this is part of the reason i like to think about it like a like a character sheet you don't if you're playing um if you're playing a tabletop rpg you don't have just one stat that means good and it's the same thing it's the same thing in our lives we don't have just one stat that means good not good 
strong, you know, capable, not capable. It's more yeah. nuanced than that. And, um, and so thinking about it in those terms is something that actually I, 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 I teach managers because there are so many of us that flew under the radar because we were good at school or mm-hmm. certain aspects of school. You know, you're smart. How I, I've you know, you're smart. How can, how can you be autistic? Well, because <laughs> funnily enough, that's not one of the diagnostic criteria. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and, and now I'm, <laughs> this is where the anger is starting to come out. Oh you know, yeah. No, that's like fine. Getting, getting sassy. I'm just, mm. Mm. um, but the, that's again i think that's something that my industry needs to do a a, a industry needs to do a better job at educating people on not just giving them the labels but giving people labels but teaching people what does this label mean i want to see more more people in mental health backgrounds who are taught better science communication skills because um unfortunately we what I didn't learn this in school that science communication skills are different than scientific understanding skills, and there are a lot of researchers who are really terrible communicators about their research. And now, thankfully, there are some people on places like like Twitter and YouTube who do a really good job of understanding the research. I mentioned how to ADHD. I I love her channel. Um, we you know uh, we're very close and i know all the research she puts into things but there are a lot there's a lot of information out there on twitter that's just really bad information on tiktok yeah. too like there's oh, one that's yeah. going around that just irks me um object impermanence like the way it's being used a lot of the time it's not what it means mm-hmm. yeah. and so people uh, i i keep seeing therapists who um the there, I keep hearing about therapists, friends of mine, who have people coming in with the stuff they've learned from the internet. There's good information out there too, but there's also just a lot of bad information, and they have to help them unlearn some of that information. And I would just love it if therapists and mental health professionals would step up and educate people so they didn't need to go to TikTok. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I'm actually really bothered by this idea that you know. Um, grow up, cope with it. What I hear people saying then is, I don't want to have to cope with you. And now no wonder people on the spectrum or with ADHD experience rejection sensitivity. It's not just in innuendo or in what's not said or in what's hinted at. It's directly said as in, wow, I'm so tired of having to deal with you one Mm -hmm. way or another. Yeah, and or just basically be different, and it's mm-hmm. it's it ends up being insidious because there's a lot of things like I'm I recognize the fact that like where I really struggle, uh, where my autism is absolutely most apparent, is um, in re- in romantic relationships where my need because I was taught neurotypical dating skills. Every almost everybody is taught neurotypical dating skills. I don't know anybody mm-hmm. out there. Again, I'm 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 giving a lot of shout outs to How to ADHD because I know she's talked about this. I was actually mm-hmm. in that video um about like relationship accommodations. Um there's almost nobody out there that I can think of who is talking about neurodiverse dating skills. Mm-hmm. And so the people I've dated my ex-wife expected me to norm to re- respond 
with neurotypical responses and to I expected them to meet my needs in a neurotypical way and it's only I'm nearly 40 and I'm just learning yeah. how to exist in romantic relationships without that yeah being able yeah. to recognize that I have different needs than most other people do and that's okay um I've got two more questions here yeah, uh, before, be we, before we round out the, the episode. Ugh. One of them, I one of them, I really want to ask you because of a conversation you and I actually had, um, God, months ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, question is uh, uh, this is from uh, Mox Pearl, by the way. If Big Bang Theory is a great example of how not to do uh, ASD representation, what's a good positive example of ASD in popular media? I actually don't have any. Yeah, mm. I, I can't think. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, they may exist at this point, but I will be really honest with you. I tend to not watch mental health or autism themed shows and movies because um, one of two things is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Either it's done so badly that I'm going to be just angry mm-hmm. or it's done so well it hits too close to home and I can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I have yet to I have I have personally yet to see a really good representation of autism in the media, um, but what I will say is, step beyond certain disability tropes of making us like the mystical saviors. Um, we're not savants. That is a rare. That is a truly exceptionally rare thing. Like the good doctor, um, the good doctor is you know he's he's only accepted because he has socially acceptable skills to an incredible degree it's in many respects bones was the same way yep um and so i i would love to see some representations of autism you know i oh it it just kills me that it's in this franchise that they did it so well actually mm-hmm. it just mm, i wish it weren't this franchise but freaking Newt Scamander. Oh. Newt Scamander yeah. was. I wept watching Newt Scamander in the first Fantastic Beasts movie because he was awkward. He was clearly autistic and he was different and they accepted that that was fine. And he was the hero. He got the girl. It, you know, it. There are, that's the only example I can think of where you have a fairly obviously autistic character who is just accepted for being different, is still gets to be heroic, still gets to be autistic. Now, they don't actually call him out as autistic, but he's he's autistic. <laughs> um, special interests, stereotyped movements, troubles with body language and reciprocity. He's autistic. Um, but they just accept it. And he still gets to be the hero mm-hmm. and a romantic a romantic interest. That does not exist. And I really wish it existed outside the Harry Potter franchise. Gosh, I really, I really wish it existed yeah. outside the Harry Potter mm-hmm. franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the last question I've got here is, I feel like, a good one that's a bridge between this episode and next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, this comes from... Uh, Malinol, I think I'm sorry again. I'm sorry if I say your name wrong. I apologize. Um, I find it really difficult to distinguish between autism and ADHD without mm-hmm. hyperactivity. Do you have a stance on this? Um, well, there's there's a lot of related aspects to both, and I was I was actually just talking uh, recently to um, to a cognitive researcher who 
uh, hypothesized that they that they're on a related spectrum. Um, there's not really a lot of evidence for that yet, but she she thinks that's where things are headed. Uh, but ADHD symptoms are expected for a lot of us on the spectrum, um, and especially for the so uh, there's actually a really good organization called the Awake Project. The A-W-A-K-E project stands for Autism, Aspie Autistic Women Awareness, Knowledge, and Empowerment Project. And they talk heavily about the different gender presentations of both ADHD and autism because there are significant differences Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And that's the reason... there, that's the reason that a lot of women, especially girls and non-binary folks, f- fly under the radar for this stuff because traditionally, you know, traditionally uh, boys tend to act out when they're young. They cause trouble. Um, girls are more prone to going, kind of going inward, and and so. The people who go inward tend to fly under the radar because, I mean, if you're, an, if you're an overworked teacher with 35 kids in the class and one kid is setting the room on fire and the others are just not paying attention, who's getting the attention? And that's part of the reason I flew under the radar as well because I go inward. I, I have that more inattentive type presentation um, for both autism and for my ADHD-like symptoms. So... Um, not sure that answered your question fully, um, but I'm no, I, <laughs> I'm deep within the feels, and I'm kind of scatterbrained right now. Yeah, no, no, and and I and I think it, I think it really did. Um, but yeah, we we have unfortunately run out of time. Um, I do uh, apologize to everybody whose questions who I didn't get to, uh, but uh, you y'all were knocking out the part. And there were a few ADHD questions, and I do encourage you to come back next week uh, because that is what our topic of discussion is going to be about. Um, but, uh, but yeah, friends, where can people find you, uh, if they, they want to see on the internets? Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Mitra Jordan, uh, and my website, um, uh, dot And I encourage people to reach out if they'd like to. So, um, yeah, just to say next week, we'll be talking about all about ADHD. We'll be talking about late diagnosis, early diagnosis. What's it like as a woman? What's it like if you're Trevor? Um, <laughs> what's it like if you're Mitra? Because I don't want to speak for everyone. I just had to throw that in there. It was I know. I just like that. What, is, what it's like if you're a woman. What it's like if you're a Trevor. <laughs> um, what's it like if you're non-binary? I can't speak for everyone again. Yep. But yeah. Yep. <laughs> so um, I'm Dr. B again. Rafael Bocamazzo, Dr. Clinical Psychology. Um yeah, you can find me at the Doctor B T H E E D O C T O R B as in boy, um, and uh, you can also follow Take This at Take This Org. We're actually in the middle of a hu- the last two days of a huge fundraiser, Parker Boxed In Experience, sponsored and presented by Idol Champions. It's true. Um, it's really we'll get that fantastic. Cycle 
yeah, you if you donate $10 or more to that, you get a Psychomancer skin for Beetle and Grimm in game. Yeah. They they look amazing. It's I it mean, it's so after cool. our mascot, the Psychomancer, and um I it, get paid today and that's the first thing I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> it's so cool. I've already used the Psychomancer skin. Um it's great. And uh I I already saw Abed mentioned in the chat. They kind of went back and forth on Abed and autism versus psychosis and a bunch of other things, but autism was still pretty I mean, uh Abed was still pretty awesome representation in terms of how well he was accepted mm. by his friends yeah so yeah. um but yeah what, once more i want to thank you again for doing this uh the, this I, I'm, I'm i know it was a lot and uh i just we, we love you man <laughs> uh, um, vulnerability emotions i know ah. you get it off ah, emotions uh, <laughs> Um, you can find me on the Difficulty Class uh, podcast every Friday, as well as Champions of Lore here on Twitch.tv slash Games every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, as well on Twitter at the Trevor. There's an A hiding in there. You can find the podcast that I make way too many of. Uh, thank you to Jay for moderating the chat. You did a fantastic job today. Uh, thank you. Or not to say you don't, you know, any other day. You always do a good job, Jay. Uh, thank you to Codename Entertainment and Take This for giving us an opportunity to have these conversations. And if you missed any part of this show, you can catch it later as a podcast at 2 p.m. on your favorite podcast services and you can write in with your suggestion for future topics to champions of psychology at codenameentertainment.com yes i know those are a lot of letters but copy and paste uh <laughs> um yeah, and uh, for those of us uh, live uh, in the chat right now, come back at 1 p.m. for Bardic Inspiration with Dylan, Jason, uh, Charles Miller. Uh, and if you're listening to us later, we'd love to see you next week in the chat uh, for the ADHD AMA. And we're sorry that we missed you this week. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that is going to do it. So until next week, take care of yourself. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.